Good morning. That was really good, actually. Merry Christmas. Um, can we just can we say thanks? I'm, I'm not asking you to to point this in the wrong direction, but when people serve us so well, we want to honor them. So just thanks to the guys, the band, ladies, leading us. They're real careful to make sure that the attention is on Jesus and nobody else, and I love that about them. I love that about this church. Um, and so Merry Christmas becomes a very important phrase for us in a world that is trying to get us to say other things. Uh, you'll never hear from the front of this room except for right now, happy holidays, at least said seriously, or season's greetings. We don't believe this is a season. Um, Merry Christmas is joyful Christ mass. That's what it is. It's we're remembering Jesus. And we're actually learning to do that every day, not just the Christmas time, but every day um, because it's about Jesus. We, we, have a, we have a tradition in our home where, you know, you know the advent calendars, right, where you got the little doors you open and there's candy inside for the kids. So we've had one of those for a long time, ever since we had kids, actually. And um, what we started doing a few years back was putting little notes inside that had them do random acts of kindness. So we would pick different things we wanted them to do, whether it was for the neighbors or people at school or teachers or friends or us. <laughs> um, <laughs> serve your parents today. It was fun. Anyway, the other day I was seeing my wife. I said, I have an idea for one. I don't think we've ever tried. I said, let's put in um, for tomorrow, read Luke 1 and 2. Just the Christmas story. It's why we're doing what we're doing. It's why we're celebrating. So we stuck it in there, and they every morning they run because they all leave at different times. And so one of them pulled it out, and they're reading it. I won't tell you who it is. And they're like, read Luke 1 and 2. That's not a random act of kindness. And I thought, huh, it's not. It's the Bible. Like, it's the most kind thing you can do for Jesus and for yourself, and just didn't register. I mean, he's six. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't him. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, um, this, this is about Jesus. This has always been about Jesus, and it has to be about Jesus. We're, we're coming out of two great messages around the holiday hustle that we would be grateful. That's about Jesus. Everything we experience today, we experience because of Jesus, the good that is about who we are and who this world is. And then last week, hospitality, that, that we would open up our spaces that God has given us and invite people in to share the love of Jesus. That's about Jesus. This thing is about Jesus. For the next three weeks, we're going to jump into a new series called The Thrill of Hope. That's about Jesus. Well, you're getting it, Right? It's about Jesus. What, what we have to understand is there is no hope outside of Jesus. It's false. It's fake. It isn't real. So when we talk about hope, we're talking about Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, it is the most exciting thing to talk about because it's hope. And so we're diving into this, this series called A Thrill of Hope. And what in the world is a thrill of hope and why do we need to spend three weeks talking about it? Was my first question to myself. Is anybody else knowing and that's that? Um, 
A thrill of hope. Advent is set up to give you a little more than three weeks to process the thrill of hope for our lives. They give you 24 days all around hope and remembering all that God has done and continues to do for us. And we need to talk about it because at the core of hope is this thrill or these thrills. The thrill of hope at the core. But in the world we live in, in a culture we find ourselves in today, there are thrill killers. Um, and there is a thrill killer. He actually hates you. Uh, he lies to you. The devil, uh, the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, is a one-trick pony. He just lies. But he's really good at it. And as a result of that, it kills the thrill. Or it is killing the thrill, if you will, in our lives. So what kills your thrill this Christmas season? That's what we hope in the next three weeks you're able to answer that question. And so a thrill of hope. I can definitely tell you what a thrill of hope is not. Do you mind if I... Did you like walk in? Don't you love when you walk into this place, you walk into that lobby and it's like Christmas in your face? lights and trees and, you know, the whole shenanigans. And then you walk in here and it's like one Christmas carol, that's all we got. And I was feeling your pain just a little bit. Um, so hang on. Here we go. See, already some of you are going, oh. It's just like, for whatever reason, that just feels right. Some of you are going, no, it's not, because that's not what this is all about. I know. Here you go. You ready? I was thinking of all it. Oh. Right? Does everybody just feel better right now? No, you don't. You don't because this hasn't happened yet. And all is well with our soul. This is not. Listen, I love trappings. Don't get me wrong. We decorated right about November 2nd, uh, and, and the lights went up outside really early, and like I love to do, I started teasing the neighbors. You know, we got our lights on. No, we don't. Yeah, we do. It's fun. We have 11 trees in our home. This is one of them, so there's now 10, right? Because our kids each have one in the room, and then you, you got that whole flocked, frocked, what is it? Flock. Which I have no idea why they call it that, but those white trees, you know, and you got to have that and, and lights and, and that's fun. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's not the thrill of hope. It, it, like that falls way, way short though. All of us, when that happened, we just went, okay, now it feels like Christmas because in the sanctuary on stage is a Christmas tree. We feel better. So where does this thought come from? The closest we get in scripture to it is Psalms 92.4. The psalmist says, you thrill me, Lord. Have you ever started a prayer like that? You thrill me, Lord. What a powerful thought. With all you have done for me, I sing for joy because of what you have done. God, you thrill me. Where do we hear this idea, a thrill of hope? Well, there's a Christmas song, a Christmas carol, if you will. It goes like this. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. 
the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Come on, everybody. Right? People are swaying. Bones are coming out. Okay, you can shut it down. We're about to have a choir moment. <laughs> Somebody first service said, let's find it. You keep singing. Stop it. A thrill of hope right there in that song. Some of you are like, are we gonna, is that what we're going to talk about today, a song? Yeah, a thrill of hope. Let me uh, unpack thrill for you. You look it up in the dictionary, thrill is to cause to experience a sudden sharp feeling of excitement. Well, we could use that in the church a lot more. I mean, I don't care if you're introverted or extroverted, right? In the extroverted world, we go, wow, right? And I'm a 100% extrovert, so that's just my world. And then the 100% extrovert side is kind of like, wow. And that's cool, too, because that's wow, right? But it's a thrill, however it be. What would happen if, man, we just had a thrill of hope? The world might actually look in. To cause to have a shivering or tingling sensation, we call them spiritual doodads. <laughs> to move or pass so as to cause a sudden wave of emotion, a thrill. You're going over that hill and the roller coaster to that massive drop and you go, I hate this, right? Because it's not a thrill, but it is a thrill. <laughs> a thrill of hope. We've said this is what hope is. Hope is not what the world defines it to be, wishful thinking without any control. We believe that hope is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow, a God tomorrow, based on the character and promises of God. He is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he's going to do. Stand with me this morning. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We stand in these moments because this is the word of God. And this transforms our hearts. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to, be, to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. If you need hope today, it's always been Jesus. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We look at Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need your hope to overflow in our lives today. And we know that that only happens by the power of your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit shows up when we believe and trust in you. And may that Holy Spirit come alive in us today. May we not be a dead church, but a life-giving church. Amen. May we not live in darkness, but may we live in light. 
May you consume us from the inside out, God, and may we surrender the lies of the enemy and stop believing them because they're not true. And in the name of Jesus, we cancel them. And we invite truth in by the power of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. We're just about ready to roll. Right? The word of God. Does your hope thrill you? Because if it's God's hope, it will. I'm going to ask it again. It's a litmus test. Does your hope thrill you? Because God's hope is a thrilling hope. The psalmist David said multiple times, hope in God. Put your hope in God. All my hope is in the Lord. When your hope is in something other than God, you are divided against yourself. And so David is saying, man, let all hope go directly to God. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. Do you ever ask questions about lines? A weary world rejoices. Why is a weary world rejoicing? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's why. But why is the world weary? Right? Do you ever ask yourself that? Why is the world weary? It's weary because it wakes up every day putting every bit of energy and effort outside of Christ into outrunning despair. That goes for Christians and followers of Jesus as well. I need you to hear this. It's weary because it wakes up every day, putting every bit of energy and effort when we live outside of Christ into outrunning despair. And despair exists because hope doesn't in a life. And so we wake up chasing the hope, the mirage of hope, worldly hope, anything we can grasp that'll make us feel better, that'll keep us from despair. We are weary because we've been convinced that true hope comes through the pursuit or the achievement of security, pleasure, and power. Now, I want you to know that when you find a life in Jesus, you find the ultimate security. When you find a life in Jesus, you find the ultimate pleasure. Because your pleasure doesn't come from anything but God. Though things are fun, God is the most fun. And your power doesn't come in your own strength. It comes in his. Because when I am weak, he is strong. But in the world today, we are chasing and pursuing and going after security and pleasure and power that exists outside of God, hoping to find hope. Too often, our preoccupation with the three most basic human desires, security, pleasure, and power, costs us more than we realize. The never-ending struggle for enough money, enough good feelings, enough status, produces in us, in abundance, worry, frustration, anger, suspicion, jealousy, anxiety, fear, resentment, comparison, and the list goes on. And we keep pursuing These powerful emotion-backed desires cause 99% of the self-inflicted and unnecessary suffering in our lives. 99%. And here's why. It keeps the focus of our attention on self and keeps us from being open and transparent and real about where we really are. And what's really happening in our life and who is actually in control or trying to be in control. 
Why is the world weary? It's trying to outrun despair by achieving worldly hope through the irrational pursuit of human desire. Security, pleasure, and power, believing wholeheartedly that that's where hope actually lies. It's like having Christmas ornaments that say security, pleasure, and power. No one does that. That's not what our Christmas ornaments say. They say hope, peace, joy. Even Starbucks does it. A lifestyle centered on security and pleasure and power. By the way, catch that. A lifestyle centered on security and pleasure and power eliminates the possibility of establishing any rational sense of self. For the simple reason that these desires, these human desires completely exclude God. Because when I'm going after security and my own strength and power and pleasure in what I want and need and power in what I think matters most, we lose God. And God is the only one who can show you who you really are. A thrill of hope. Why are we talking about this at Christmas? Security, pleasure, and power. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all security and pleasure and power. Nope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Oh. When you read certain things, do you ever do that? Just go, oh. Overflow with hope. Would to God. More believers. Followers of Christ would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your power. You're not achieving hope. You're receiving it. You know what the pursuit of security will cost you? This is crazy. The pursuit of security... Let me, let me, I'm going to go deeper in that just in a minute, but the, the need for approval from everything outside but God, do you know what that will cost you? Peace. Do you know what the need for pleasure outside of just enjoying God, you know what it will cost you? Joy. Oh, but we're looking for it, but you'll lose it. Do you know what the pursuit of power in this world and your own abilities and strength and successes will cost you always love. Think about it. You know what words we talk about most at Christmas? Hope. It's week one of Advent. Peace. It's week two of Advent. Joy. It's week, you know where I'm going with this. And love. Do you know what the thrill of hope is? There's three. The thrill of hope is peace, joy. I didn't say happiness. That's a downgrade. Stop chasing happiness. Chase joy. We'll get to that in just a second. Love. And godly peace, spirit-led peace and joy and love when given to you can't be taken from you. It's untouchable. It isn't dependent upon people. 
It isn't dependent upon your own ability to be self-aware. It isn't dependent upon what's happening around you. It is dependent on the truth that he is who he says he is. Hope is peace. Hope is joy. Hope is love. Listen, as we were putting together this definition of hope, we weren't processing it this deeply. But listen, hope is a confident expectation. Do you know what a confident expectation produces? Peace. Of a better tomorrow. Do you know what it means to not worry about tomorrow and just trust God in today? Joy. And it's all based on the character and promises of God. You know who he is? He is love. And for God so loved this world that he gave us Jesus. He fulfilled the promise. And so peace, joy, and love is hope. It's the thrill of hope. It's like when you experience it, you go, wow, or wow. But wow is what you say. Biblical hope, <laughs> biblical hope gifts you peace. You didn't achieve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You just believed. And in believing, you got Jesus. And in getting Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit showed up, you got peace. He gifted you peace. He gifted you joy. Doesn't matter the circumstances. In everything, good or bad, you got dancing joy. And he gifted you love. The ability to love like he loves. And people go, how can you love him? Well, how can God love me? Worldly hope takes it from you. The drive for security and pleasure and power robs you of hope. It takes it from you. Instead of receiving it, it convinces you. It lies you into achieving and running after security, running after pleasure, running after power, because you're running from despair, but you're running toward greater despair. That's the biggest lie. That's why you're weary, even as a believer who finds himself more deeply in religion than Christ. Oh, weary world, rejoice. Oh, weary church, rejoice. Why? Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why we rejoice. Before we talk about, about peace, let's find out where we really are this Christmas. I was reading a book recently by uh, a Catholic priest, uh, Brennan Manning. And he asked a series of questions in one of the chapters. And as I was reading it, I was going, ooh, that hurts. The awareness of what's true about me sometimes hurts. And I don't feel guilt or shame about it because God didn't give me that. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. But I lamented that some of this is true. And I don't want it to be. Here's the questions. You ready? What saddened you this past month? If you could go back and process the things that made you sad, what saddened you? Was it the realization that you do not love Jesus enough? That you could love him more? That you did not seek his face in prayer often enough? Did that sadden you? That you did not care for his people enough? Or were you saddened over a lack of respect someone showed you? 
or criticism from an authority figure or your finances or a lack of friends or fear about the future that you just don't look the way you want to look when you look in the mirror. What saddened you? And then he asked this question, what gladdened you this past month? What made you glad? Notice we're staying away from the word happy. Based on circumstances, what, what made you glad? Reflecting on the gift of salvation that God loves you and chose you? The joy of saying slowly, Abba, Father. The afternoon you got away for a few hours with the gospel as your companion and just spent time with the good news of Jesus. Did you had a small victory over selfishness? <laughs> or were the sources of your joy a new car or a new outfit or a great date or marital intimacy or a raise or a loss of weight and muscle growth that made you feel better about yourself when you looked in the mirror? What made you glad? See, here's what's true, church. I don't pursue peace. I don't pursue joy and I don't pursue love like we as a culture pursue security and pursue pleasure and pursue power. Man, we sell our souls often for those things. We sell our energy for those things. We sell our days for those things. I don't pursue peace, joy, and love like I pursue those things. Here's what's true. I can't pursue peace and I can't pursue joy and I cannot pursue love. I pursue Jesus and those things come. <laughs> you can't achieve it there. Man, in a culture that just wants to accomplish it all, I just don't seem to have that. It's because you've got to have Jesus to have it. But man, if you go after Jesus, you're going to find peace and love and joy and goodness and meekness and gentleness and self-control. And the list goes on. Can't buy it. It was bought for you. And so, thrill number one, peace. I had to introduce all that. We won't take all that time next week. Next week's joy. The week after that's love. We're going to go into Christmas and talk about love. Won't that be fun? Four services. But today, peace, this confident expectation, it's a mindset. It's like, wouldn't it be great if you stopped thinking like you and just started thinking like Jesus all the time? I just want to think and act and talk and be like Jesus. And whenever Dave shows up, it's like, stop that. Just want to talk like, I want to have a mind of Christ. I want the ego of Jesus in me, not the ego of Dave. But the thrill killer of security, we need to expose. See, the security, security has a cult following. Our need to feel secure or be secure or not be insecure which creates insecurity. It has a cult following. It's those believers who worship more frequently at the altar of success than at the altar of the living God. Not that success is bad. Or those believers who bow more regularly to the sacred cows of security and comfort than to the lordship of Jesus Christ who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The kind of security we go after, whether it's financial, relational, career, is not what's important. The kind of security, not what's important. I want you to hear me. What really matters is the amount of time and energy and thought and attention that we invest 
in the unpleasant struggle to achieve the conditions we believe are most important for us to feel secure. All the wasted mind space of making sure that everybody likes what we're doing and we're pleasing who we need to please and we're not upsetting this person and we're having this experience and we're accomplishing this and we're achieving this because if we don't, then we're just not secure. <sighs> it's weary and exhausting. I just got exhausted sharing it. Think about it. The desire for security is very demanding and pulls our mind away from the most important thing, letting our minds and hearts be filled with Jesus. Our feelings of insecurity are rarely caused by outside circumstances or the actions of others. And listen, I know that there are circumstances in the outside actions of others that cause insecurity. And so the enemy plants lies in those insecure happenings. But what you need to do is not listen to those people or even oftentimes the people that will surround you. You need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that tells you who you are and corrects those lies into truths and then believe those truths and renounce the lies. There is moments like that that happen, but most of the time our insecurity doesn't come from our circumstances or what other people do to us. Our feelings of insecurity are rarely caused by outside or the action of others. What keeps us feeling insecure is our addictive emotional needs that have to always be satisfied. And when reality doesn't live up to our expectations, we become frustrated, angry, bitter, anxious, defeated, my expectations about my messages, I've been vulnerable about this with you before, where I came to you and said, man, I used to have a strong need for you to like my messages, right? You remember that? Okay. So I used to have a strong need for everybody in the room to like my messages. And my expectation about my messages, when yours didn't match mine, like, hey, that was the best message I've ever heard, Right? Or there's something I really want you to get out of this, and then when you say I didn't get anything out of it, I'm just not being fed. <laughs> Those kinds of things, you go, oh, wasn't expecting that. What keeps us feeling insecure is our addictive emotional needs that have to always be satisfied, and when reality doesn't live up to our expectations, we become frustrated. Something's missing. So when yours doesn't match mine, you aren't the one who destroyed my inner person. I am. Listen to me. You got to get this. A lot of the insecurity that we experience in our inner self has nothing to do with what's happening on the inside. It has everything to do with the expectations we're putting on everybody else on the inside when those expectations ought to be fully placed in Christ. My needs fulfilled fully in Christ. And when I step outside of that, I put myself in a vulnerable position to be insecure. And God never intended us to draw our security from each other. My expectations. I determined what I needed to feel secure. Your like of my messages and was convinced that's how you should feel. And in doing that, I and we deprive ourselves of the fruits of the Spirit and the abundant life that Jesus promises. Peace, joy, and love. I don't care if you like it or not. As long as I did what he told me to do. Amen. Simply put, we're trying to find security in who we want others to believe we are instead of who we really are. Clinging to a false sense of security kills the possibility of transparency, which actually is the thing that grows us most. When we come to faith in Jesus, we give up our unbelief, our false ideas, and our wrong convictions. We do that. 
In the same way, when we put our trust in Jesus, we give up our craving for material, relational, financial, and yes, even spiritual reassurance because the one thing that feeds security more than anything else is the deep need to be reassured, which is a lie. That was right in your face. I'm sorry. (laughs) What feeds the security or need for or the ultimate insecurity is the need or drive for reassurance from people, from things, from even God. Our security is in Jesus who says we are who we are. Security in Jesus means I'm not counting the cost anymore. I don't care what the cost is anymore. Whatever God wants to do, whatever he wants to give, and whatever he wants to take away, blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm in. Because he's got me and he's got you. And so stop counting the cost. If you do this, God, then I'll do this. Security in Jesus means I'm not. And when our trust is dependent on the response it receives, it's not trust. God, if you'll do this, then I'll trust you. That's not trust. Our need to feel secure is driven by our need to be reassured, which is brokenness, by the way. Reassurance always needs more reassurance or it becomes frustrated, anxious, and disheartened, and even convinced that previous assurance or reassurance wasn't real in the first place, and so then I need more. When is enough reassurance enough to make you secure, to make me secure? Security sends us on a reassurance kick, and Jesus won't reassure. Here's where our peace breaks, folks. Jesus calls us to give him surrender, our autonomous selves in complete confidence. My way, my wants, my desires, my autonomy, I give it in confidence fully to him. I surrender it. You've got me better than I've got me. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and I'll take care of all the rest. I'm trusting that he's going to do that. When you turn your life fully to God and complete trust and confidence in all he says, even your craving for reassurance, go with me, you live in a confident expectation and peace is achieved. You experience the peace of God in a confident expectation. And here's what's true. Security kills the thrill of peace because it needs reassurance and God won't reassure something that he's already assured. There's a story of two guys that met each other in boot camp and became very good friends during World War II. They went to battle together and in one particular battle, it was at night and they were in a foxhole together. And they were talking, they knew the enemy was pressing in, but the enemy wasn't quite there and all of a sudden a hand grenade landed between the two of them. And one of the guys flicked his cigarette away, rolled over onto the hand grenade. It blew up into his stomach. And before he died, he winked at his friend and passed. When the young man who survived got out of the military, he befriended his best friend's mom. And they would talk about her son and his friend often. And he became a priest. And one day he was coming to visit her and he was down and he was depressed and at the core of that depression was his need to be reassured that her son really loved him and so he said do you think Tim loved me and she looked at him laughing going are you kidding me he said no I'm serious do you think he really loved me and she got angry and she said could he have loved you anymore 
And in that moment, he realized he no longer needed reassurance that he was assured that God loved him, that Jesus died. That's why I say all the time, church, if God never does another thing, he's done enough. They don't need him to prove himself. He's proven himself. He has assured my way if I put my faith and trust in him. Peace, spiritual peace goes running when the heart of a Christian longs for one sign after another of God's merciful love. Please hear me. Spiritual peace goes running when the heart of a Christian longs for one sign after another of God's merciful love. An insecure, anxious believer are the symptoms of a heart where trust has not found a home. Trust brings peace because it's a mind full of Jesus. Jesus, what more could he have done for you? Peace I leave with you, Jesus said, my peace I give you. Jesus' peace transcends any peace that we might gain on earth. I do not give peace to you as the world gives, Jesus said. And now, aren't you refreshed by that? I don't give it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go after it. You don't have to chase it in your own strength and your own power, seeking pleasure in everything but him, trying to be secure based on what everybody else says, not as the world gives, Jesus said. His peace takes away troubled hearts and fear. He makes us whole. That's what peace means, to be made whole. He heals us. Worldly peace betrays us. It promises but doesn't deliver. And this is why Jesus' peace is so attractive. His peace is unlike any peace on earth. It's of an entirely different world. He gives heavenly peace, not earthly peace. Spiritual peace, not fleshly peace. And this is because Jesus' peace descends from heaven. I want you to get this. Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, not your reassurance, that plays to the flesh, but to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And when you take Jesus into your heart and life, you stop needing all the excess and outside you hold real loosely because you got the one who satisfies everything. And if it comes, it comes as an encouragement to your heart so that you can lift it back to God as an offering. Father will send in my name the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I gift you. My peace. John 14. When Jesus leaves, the Spirit comes and peace with him. The Spirit of Christ comes to us from the Father and grants us peace. And so this morning... Your hope, whether it's worldly or biblical, is determined by the level of peace that exists in your heart. The level of joy that exists in your heart. And the level of love that exists. And to the degree that we've put it in a counterfeit, that we're trying to chase and earn, we will be weary and despair will be the ultimate destination. But to hope in Jesus is to experience a thrill of hope. That's why a weary world rejoices, that Jesus has come. Would you stand with me?
You can't achieve the peace of God. You only receive it. And man, I wish. No, I don't. That was a dumb statement I was about to make. You can't shortchange relationship by not spending time with God. The answer to the level of peace and joy and love is literally the amount of time you're spending. Not bringing your list, though he loves your list, but bringing your heart and letting him change it from the inside out. Being honest and transparent and saying, God, I'm yours. Do what you want. Show me who you are. Gosh, what would that look like if the church had the peace and joy and love of God and gave it away in hope, the hope of Jesus? One big ask here today before we go, and you're standing so it won't be long. Trying something this Christmas that we've never done, and that's a greatest gift offering. So next week and on the 22nd, we're going to take an offering and we're asking those that call Alpine home to bring their greatest gift of the season, meaning whatever your greatest gift that you give to somebody else, give one more higher to the Lord just to say, God, thanks. But here's what it does. Generosity breaks the back of worldly security, breaks it. It's holding loosely and saying, God, I'm going to put my heart in your hands here. I'm going to let you do. And you need to know that whatever comes in for the greatest gift offering is going to go toward growing. It's not going to managing this facility or this staff. or the, It is all going to grow hope in our culture and community. That's where it's going. And we're just actually believing that it, it's going to be significant enough that it's going to make a dent in despair in a way that we never imagined it could. And so next week in the 22nd, we're going to take an offering that is our greatest gift. And what would happen if out of our hope in Jesus, we gave so that others could have hope? I think it'd be pretty cool. So God, I pray for our church today. I love this place. I love what you're doing in our hearts. I love your transitioning out of the flesh and into the spirit, out of the world and into the kingdom. And that you're growing us in who we are in Christ as your kids and not what anybody else says or thinks. And that as that's happening, our hope is expounding and overflowing. And I pray that that would be true, that our hope would overflow to our neighbors and our workplace and our friends and our family. And it would be real because it's given by you and not achieved by us. Just may that be true. Grow us and grow us in our time with you. Help us create space in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you. Merry Christmas.